Hello and welcome to Medico Legal Expert Insight. My name is Jessica and in this podcast, we interview medical and legal professionals to help connect and understand when, what, why and how both sides interpret the information given to them. The goal is to share expert opinions from both sides of the medico-legal industry. I do want to say a huge thank you to eReports for the support and access to all these incredible experts. So let's get started and connect the dots through conversation. Today, I am joined by Anna Morgan, Director and Founder of Expert Witness Coach. Anna and I are going to be discussing everything to do with presenting as an expert witness. We will cover the mistakes, what things you should consider when being briefed for a case, what you need to know when writing a report, what you should do before sending your report. And then finally, she's going to share a little more about her business expert witness coach. So let me introduce you to Anna. She has been a litigator for over 20 years. During her career, she has run cases in a variety of courts, including personal injury, building and property negligence claims, professional negligence, commercial litigation, and defamation matters. Anna has experience acting for both insurers and plaintiffs. She is currently the practice leader for Evolve Legal, acting for people injured at work on the roads, in public places, or who are victims of historical or institutional childhood abuse. Over her career, Anna has engaged countless experts as well as challenging or discrediting experts on the other side. Since 2011, Anna has taught over a thousand students how to build a career as an expert witness, how to put together their expert reports, and how to maximize their performance skills. Anna is also a regular speaker at industry events, and in 2020, Anna founded her business, Expert Witness Coach. Through this business, she recently launched an online course called the Effective Expert Witness. This course is designed for experts or professionals wanting to pivot their career to become an expert. It's a comprehensive online course that provides the foundations for enhancing an expert's performance as an expert witness. Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jessica. It's a pleasure having you on. So your business has pretty much formed from your years of experience and the the mistakes that you've seen experts make in court, whether it's preparation or reporting, we're going to go into all of that today. But let's start with what mistakes have you seen expert witnesses make? I've seen experts perform really well, but I've also seen experts make mistakes that can have pretty significant impacts on the claims that you know I'm running for people and so examples of the experts are including not reading the instructions clearly some experts it seems they just pick up the the brief or pick up the letter and they don't actually go through and read the instructions clearly mm-hmm. that includes reading whether or not I want a written report straight away or whether I want a verbal opinion first Let's have a let's have a meeting or let's have a, a phone call. 
so that I can get a sense of where the expert sits in relation to the technical problem that I've asked them to give an opinion on. Mm-hmm. So it's important that experts read the instructions clearly, follow those instructions, and only do what's been asked mm-hmm. to do. Um, that leads on to things like answering questions that are not asked. That's a big mistake that experts can do. Yep, I and have there might that be, <laughs> Yeah. And there might be some legitimate reasons why the questions uh, may not be asked. It could be that the issue is already admitted uh, in the pleadings or on the dispute, or it may be that my client doesn't want to incur the fees answering that particular question, mm-hmm. or it's not needed. And so if you go down that path and answer a particular question that's not asked, then you don't know how that's going to impact the case. So that's part of reading instructions clearly mm-hmm. and only doing what's asked. Now, if you think the lawyer has missed a question or should be asking you a question, then get on the phone. Ask the lawyer. And if you've not asked me this question, is there a reason for that? Yeah. It could be that the lawyer hasn't thought to ask that question. But don't just assume as the expert that you know best and then go ahead and do it. Because if you do that, you're going to end up with an unhappy lawyer. You might end up not getting paid for that component of work because you've gone on and done something that you've not been briefed to do. So it's best that if in doubt, just get on the phone to the lawyer and ask them if that question should have been asked. Yep. Some other tips or tracks I've seen people or experts perform poorly at is coming across as an advocate. So coming across in a way that's not even-handed and not balanced and coming across too strongly arguing for one side or the other. Mm-hmm. An expert might think that that's an important part of their role, but it can actually be a hindrance for the lawyer who briefs them or the case because it might be too extreme and therefore less valuable because the lawyer knows, well, the court may not pay as much attention to that opinion because it doesn't seem objective enough. They don't have that sense of detach, detachment or the disinterested bystander approach that a true independent expert witness should have. So it can be sometimes difficult to not stay in that even-handed, balanced role if an expert feels strongly about the issue or the technical issue. But it's important to always try to stay within that sort of middle road. Mm -hmm. Um, Still explaining your scientific position uh, well, but try to at least appear even-handed and balanced. Yeah, of course. The other other things that I've found um, that have been problematic is when experts are difficult to work with. Now, being an expert witness is a great way for people to supplement their income or even completely pivot their career so that they have a really valuable income stream. But if you're difficult to work with, the chances are you're not going to get more briefs. Mm. Which is really in every career, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. So it's not just the lawyer may not give you a brief. Lawyers talk. Uh, Lawyers are always talking about who's good, who's been helpful, who would you use, who wouldn't you use. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be an expert that's um, portrayed around the industry as being difficult to work with. And that includes taking too long 
to deliver your reports because the longer it takes, the longer before the client can get their matter resolved Mm -hmm. and it can have additional impacts on other legal issues such as time limits, deadlines, etc. And no lawyer wants a cranky client because the process is taking too long. So taking too long to do your job is a big mistake mm-hmm. um, and can impact your ability to get further briefs. Um, being unreliable, um, delivering surprises is a big problem, particularly in certain jurisdictions like up here in Queensland where we have to hand over our expert reports whether we like them or not, whether they're helpful or not. Mm-hmm. So we don't like to get surprises. Um, if an expert does think that their opinion might be unhelpful, get on the phone, talk to the lawyer about it so that the lawyer can manage the situation. That might be managing client expectations. That might be considering whether the claim ought to be compromised or settled, etc. But get on the phone in advance, have a chat. Yep. So when you say don't deliver surprises, I feel like you may have an example that you have come across before. Do you have anything, an example that you have been delivered a surprise? Uh, There have been reports where the expert report, expert that I've engaged, Mm -hmm. their opinion is actually less helpful than the insurer's expert report when I've been acting for the plaintiff. Yeah. Um, or a, a report that um, basically says the opposite to what I was hoping it to say. Mm-hmm. Um, the, no experts are independent and there has to be transparency, but it may be the case that there's some further information that the lawyer can provide to the expert that they uh, may not have or may not have appreciated that might alter the opinion. Yeah, and it's better to have that information early and upfront rather than having to go back and get a second report with yeah. further information. Um, I remember having one report where a big component of the claim was going to be gratuitous care for the client. Um, and based on the evidence um, that I had from the client that they'd had a lot of care uh, from their partner, from their wife, and the expert report came back and said that no care was required or was necessary. Um, So that's not helpful for my case. Uh, I also uh, felt that that wasn't a correct um, reflection of the actual situation Mm -hmm. so I then had to spend more of my client's time and money going back to the expert and saying well what about this what about this what about these documents and then a revised opinion was provided yeah so that's a surprise and it just cost the client more money Mm -hmm. and more cost more time in the running of the claim and it also has the downside for the expert that well why have you had to do a secondary report why didn't get it right in the first place so that can be a bit embarrassing Mm -hmm. and can affect their credibility has there been any mistakes that you've seen in the expert witness box so in court so the biggest mistakes that someone as an expert can make in court is not understanding where their expertise starts and ends Mm -hmm. and straying outside the field of expertise so one of the 
fundamental common law rules around expert evidence is an expert is only allowed to give evidence or entitled to give evidence in their area of expertise. And if an expert strays outside the area of expertise, then it can affect their credibility and it opens them up for attack. Of course. So it's okay for an expert to say that question is not a question that I should address. It's outside my area of expertise and that issue is best addressed by another type of specialty. Mm-hmm. If you do that, then the courts love it because the courts can see that you really understand your role and your function and your purpose in being here in court. Yep. Where if you try to go beyond, then it can appear like you don't understand your role, it can appear arrogant, mm-hmm. and it can appear, uh, it can affect the impression that the court makes about your opinion. So that's one thing that experts ought to avoid doing. Yep. Straying outside the area of expertise. They should also avoid that issue we raised before about being an advocate. Mm-hmm. So if a concession ought to be made, then you may have to make it. If you blindly follow the position that you've come with, in face of new or changed evidence and where it might be obvious that a concession should be made about your opinion, then you need to think seriously and carefully about how how firmly you hold to your original opinion because it cannot turn you from that independent expert into the appearance of an advocate. Yeah. So that's a big mistake that um, experts can make. Mm-hmm when they're in in the box and just experts can also have their credibility impacted by not remaining calm and detached and working on their performance skills in order to manage the stress of getting evidence Mm -hmm. and manage the um, emotional response to that stress and the question and you just got to remain calm because your role is to be an independent expert, disinterested bystander, the calmer you can remain in your questioning, the more logical you can remain in providing your answers, the more you can maintain your clarity in your explanation, the better you'll appear in court. Yeah, which I would imagine would be quite hard sometimes when you're being cross-examined by a barrister. Yes, it can be. Mm. Giving evidence isn't a pleasant experience because the role of the cross-examining barrister is to challenge your integrity or to challenge your experience or to challenge the reliability of your science or your application of the science. So it's not a comfortable position to be in. So you need to develop techniques and practice techniques to maintain that sense of calm detachment. Yep. when you're in the witness box. Yep. So what should an expert consider when being briefed for a case? So when you receive a brief, an expert should consider the following sorts of issues. First of all, do I have a conflict of interest? Is this a brief that I can take on? Look at that straight away so you can tell the lawyer that's briefed you straight away whether or not you can actually do the task. Similarly, you've got to ask yourself, do I actually have the right expertise to address the questions asked? Mm -hmm. So look at that right up. Am I the right expert 
for this job. Then go on and talk and think about, do I have time to deliver the report promptly? You know, what's my calendar looking like? Do I have any leave coming up? Am I, be, am I going to be able to turn around the report in a reasonable time, in a prompt time? If you can't, send the brief back. Just say, look, I'd love to do it, but I just don't have capacity at the moment. The lawyer will appreciate that. They will remember that and, and know that they can rely upon you in the future to you know, have their back when it comes to things like timing and delivery. Yeah. Um, you need to think about, am I prepared to actually give evidence if needed? So if you're not someone that likes to do public speaking or um, that someone who's getting in the witness box is going to be problematic, then you need to think about whether or not you're going to take on the brief. Many matters don't go to court. Many matters settle before going to a hearing. So chances are you may not need to give evidence at all. But if it's something you feel strongly about, that you're not prepared to give evidence or you may not be available to give evidence, then you need to be upfront with that and consider whether or not taking that brief um, is the appropriate thing to do. Yeah. And then you should also think about the role you're asked to play. Because not everyone is briefed as an independent expert witness to give evidence, give evidence in court. Sometimes experts will be briefed to be a shadow expert or a dirty expert. So that's more a consulting role where you won't be the witness, but you're just giving advice to the legal team on how to uh, craft pleadings, for example, how to consider the technical issues. Yeah. So you need to have a look at, well, what role am I playing? Because how you will conduct yourself in each role is different. So you need to be clear on that from the outset. Yeah. So when you say a shadow expert or a dirty expert, I've actually never heard those terms before. Can you explain that to me? Yeah. So if we contrast it to the independent expert, so the independent expert has their first duty is to the court rather than to the party paying their bill. And they've got a duty to be independent and to assist the court. Mm -hmm. A shadow expert typically doesn't give evidence. There's someone with technical expertise that can help the lawyer or help the party to understand the technical issues so that they know how to build an argument or craft an argument. They might be used, for example, to help create the letter of instruction to the expert. Because if the lawyer, for example, is briefing an expert in, say, a construction problem, and they've never had to look at the building code of Australia before, or they don't understand the building process, then they may not know what questions to actually ask yeah. the expert. They may not know what documents should be briefed with the expert, should be found and briefed. So it's a, it is a practice, an acceptable practice and recognised practice in Australia where lawyers may engage an expert to basically consult with them yeah. To help. That's great. Um, generate um, the advice. Oh, sorry, generate the letter of instruction. And they can the also right be. Questions, yeah. That's right. They can also be used to assist with cross examination of an expert mm -hmm. so that the, the lawyer or the barrister understands what questions to push back on. But they're not actually a, a witness. Yeah. So that's the function of the shadow or the dirty expert. Okay. So, uh, 
sorry, you go. Yeah, the other question I was just going to mention when you're receiving a brief is you should be thinking about how much you're going to charge and whether you should let the lawyers know in advance. For a lot of um, experts that are routinely doing it, that won't be an issue. Like if the reports, the expert reports are, you know, generally the uh, consistent fee. But if there's something about it that is going to be outside the norm or if you've never done a report before, you really have to think about, well, how much am I prepared to charge and do I let them let them know in advance? Because if you're planning on charging $10,000 but the lawyer's only got $3,000 to spend, you're going to have a problem when it comes to getting your bill paid um, or you might have an unhappy lawyer who feels that they've been let down or it's another surprise. Yeah. So think about that because it, your expert witness business is a business. So you've got to... Um, protect that uh, source of income. You want to get paid for the work you're doing. And if you're going on and doing a lot of work that is outside sort of the scope of what the client can pay, then you might just be throwing um, work out, the, you know, time out the window. Yeah. So be clear on that at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. So now that the expert has been briefed can has decided they they do have the area of expertise for this particular case that um they've they've looked at what do experts need to know when writing the report so first of all they should have a good understanding of the rules of expert evidence so the common law rules around expert evidence are the sort of ammunition that a lawyer is going to use to try to attack the expert or attack the report of the expert. So that's things like understanding what your expertise is and your area of expertise, understanding that the, the opinion of the expert is only going to be as good as the facts upon which they're based. Mm-hmm. So you need to be clear what the facts are that you're relying that your opinion is relying upon or is based upon. So you need to, first of all, check that you've got enough facts to actually form an opinion. And if not, go ask for more facts or or see how you can obtain those facts. And then making sure that you clearly outline what those facts are. Because as a lawyer, if I can't attack your expertise, because you've got the necessary qualifications. So if that sort of attack isn't going to work, then I'm going to move to attacking the factual basis of your report. So I'll be saying, well, the opinion's based on these facts, but these facts aren't correct, or the expert has misunderstood the facts. Mm -hmm. Now, the expert doesn't create the facts, and the expert doesn't have to prove that the facts are true, but the expert has to clearly outline what the facts are that they relied upon when reaching their conclusion. Yeah. Because that, so that the expert has done everything they can to make that link clear. Um, the ex, Another rule is around common knowledge rule, that experts shouldn't be giving evidence on matters of common knowledge. So ha- being aware of, you know, sticking to the science, stick, sticking to the technical things, yeah. the technical issues that the judge may need assistance with. So very important things to be aware of when you're coming to write your opinion. And then you've got to look at some practical issues, such as who do I address the report to? 
So in Queensland, if it's civil litigation, you address it to the court rather than to the legal firm. Yeah. You send it to the legal firm, but you put at the top of it, you know, for example, to the Supreme Court of Queensland. Yep. You've got to be aware of the codes of practice or the um, duties and requirements of an expert because you will be required to put in a declaration about that in your report. Um, and then you need to start thinking about the most logical way to set out your report and how to explain your opinion and the reasoning process with clarity because you've got to remember who the reader is. The reader is not another technical person. The reader is not another doctor. The reader is not another scientist. The ultimate reader is a person without that technical expertise. That's going to be the judge. That's going to be the lawyers. That's going to be the clients. Um, if it's a jury matter, that's ordinary members of the public sitting on a jury. Yeah. So you've got to make it clear. Yeah. Because if I have to pick up a report, and it's happened to me before, where I've read the report and I'm still scratching my head at the end of it and not knowing what that actually means, then it's not an effective report. Yeah. I would imagine that would be if you haven't written uh, a report like this before, it would be more difficult to not sort of go into too much of the, say, orthopedic surgeon's language and trying to word it and phrase your opinion in a way where it can be read by the general public. That's right. It's still okay to use technical terms in your report. Of course. Yeah. But you have to read it and say, well, will they understand it? Yeah. Or how can I rephrase it, put the technical term in, but then rephrase it in a way that it's going to be easily understood? Yeah. Because a judge, when they make their decision, has to outline in their judgment what they understood of the evidence mm -hmm. that was given. And if a judge is sitting there looking at two reports and one is clear, easy to read, well set out, and you have a clear understanding of what their opinion is, compared to another report that you have to reread over and over again to try to understand it, subconsciously the, the judge might lean towards the one that is clear, logical and easy to follow. Yeah. Rather than the other report, which is a distraction and a headache. Yep. Yep. That totally makes sense. So what should experts be doing before sending their reports? Well, my advice is to number one, consider will my, will my report be helpful? And if it's not, get on the phone to the lawyer. Mm -hmm. Then think about have I invoiced for the report and been paid? You want to get paid for your report. And unless you get paid before you deliver the report, you lose your leverage and your uh, debt collection team may not be very happy with you. Yeah. So, you know, check have I been paid? Um, have I addressed it correctly? Have I included the correct declaration? Have I set out all the facts and assumptions clearly? Um, check have I answered all the questions and explained my reasoning process clearly? Uh, does it come across even-handed and balanced? And then most importantly, check it for typographical errors and ambiguities. Yep. Um, often we see expert reports come across and they've got typographical errors or they're ambiguous and sometimes it's really critical stuff. I had a report once where the word not was left out. So along the context of um, this condition was not caused by the um, incident. 
uh, where the rest of the report looked like it was saying the opposite. Yeah. So I had to go back to the experts, seek clarification, and they said, oh, yes, sorry, oops, that's a typo. The word got dropped out. So in Queensland, I have to disclose both reports, and it just um, is clunky, um, affects the credibility of the report, and, again, costs my client more time and money. So have someone read over it and check that it doesn't have those typographical errors. Yep. If it's a particularly technical issue, this may not be as relevant for the for the doctors, but maybe other types of experts. If it's particularly technical, give it to someone else in the office to read or in the um, organisation to read and see if they can understand it, because that's a good sort of check. Like, do you like if they come back and say, "I'm not exactly sure what this paragraph is trying to say," then that's a good way for you to tinker with it and make sure you get that opinion clearer. Yeah. So, yeah. Anna, we mentioned at the start that you've just started this new business and all of these things that you've shared today is incredible. It, it's so insightful for someone that potentially might be doing a report, going into the box to be cross-examined. So can you tell us a little bit more about your new business expert witness coach? Yeah, so over the years, I came to realise after dealing with experts over a period of time that there was very little education out there to assist the professionals to know how to deliver peak performance as an expert witness. And to be honest, even lawyers don't always have a good grasp or understanding of the intricacies around the rules of expert evidence. Mm. We don't actually spend a lot of time on that in law school. But I found expert witness can be so crucial to a case and I've had so much success undermining opposing expert witnesses because I've developed a you know strong understanding of the rules of expert evidence. And because there just doesn't seem to be that level of knowledge out there, I wanted to build something that assists the professional in how to hone their craft to try to keep them more immune from attack when they are giving expert evidence. And so that they can learn the fundamentals to try to make their reports more bulletproof and try to um, build a business as an expert witness that makes you the expert of choice, uh, makes the briefs keep coming in because you do your job well, you understand the function of your role and you are reliable and effective in that role. And that can be such an important business model for experts, particularly those wanting to pivot away from traditional practice, whether it's because they want to change their work-life balance arrangements, whether they're transitioning to retirement, or whether they just want to get involved in some really interesting cases uh, with less risk than traditional practice. So I decided to create a course for experts and I decided to do it as an online course because I know how difficult it is for busy professionals to get, you know, out of their practices to attend conferences or to attend seminars. So I've built an online course mm -hmm. under my business expert witness coach and they're in short tailored model, uh, modules. So that allows the professional to go through the lessons at their own time, um, go through it um, on the commute or between patients at their own speed, but it's got the 
critical information about how to do their job properly and how to avoid the traps um, when it comes to being an expert witness. And so my mission is that experts will have a source where they get a concrete understanding of their role in the legal system, what's expected of them, how to develop a great product and how to build and protect their brand as an expert witness. Yep. And do you also offer the service within that business? Just say um, there's an expert going into court where you they can jump on the phone with you or even have a one-on-one session with you where they can quickly get some tips on how to present in court? Yeah, that's the service that will be offered through the business. Yeah, okay. And we're also looking at developing some masterclasses around that as well where it can have uh, a lot more practical impact. So the course that's gone live so far is more focused on building the, the business and putting together the reports and not making the mistakes. And then we'll look at building a masterclass on performance skills whilst you're on the stand. Yeah. So awesome. Congratulations, Anna. It's so fantastic what you're doing and I wish you all the best. Um, I'm sure that um, we will continue to cross paths and I look forward to following your expert witness coach journey. Thank you, Jessica. It's been a delight to be involved in your podcast today and yeah, it's exciting to, to look for the future. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Bye. Bye.